Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Attitudes are pretty important. You ask any parent or teacher, and they would tell you attitude changes everything. Don't roll your eyes at me. It's often said, I I don't like your attitude. Don't take that tone with me. But he had a conversation with somebody, and it was about the tone. It wasn't about the words they said. But what comes through in our speech oftentimes is attitude. Anybody ever talk to a significant other, a spouse, and you just picked up a little attitude, because attitudes are important. Maybe on the way to church tonight, you had, you've dealt with some attitude. Well, the children of Israel were completely captivated in the wilderness. Think about it. Completely captivated in the wilderness for 40 years because of their attitudes. That's kind of a big deal. So much so that Almost every writer in the Bible references the wilderness. Psalms, prophets, gospel writers, epistle writers. Bottom line, it's the Old Testament event that everyone is talking about. They were talking about those in the wilderness. These wilderness wanderings and the subsequent unnecessary death of a whole generation of God's people. Attitudes are a big deal because attitudes can cost us some things. Just like the children of Israel, our attitudes can cost us. can cost us money, can cost us time, can cost us relationships, and it can cost us future opportunities. Attitudes are can be easily identified for the children of Israel. Their attitudes were revealed by their murmurings. How are your attitudes identified? Ask somebody next to you. How are my attitudes identified? The rolling of an eye or two? Just a look, a facial expression? See, my daughters try to give that mean mug. That doesn't work. And I, I won't go into Kristen's displays of, of attitudes. She's giving it right now. She's trying to keep it together over there. But our hope in this series is to help us identify negative attitudes so that we can Take them off of us and remove them and identify positive attitudes that we can add to our life or put on. So we present these attitudes and I present these attitudes tonight with the idea that, you know what, we're in pretty good company. So there's no need to be defensive tonight. We all struggle with attitudes. We all deal with attitudes. The question is, are we going to be honest about it? And am I willing to change my attitude? 
Some of you, after I get done tonight, you're going to be like, nope, not, not willing to do that. Thanks for what you said, though. Because we really do choose our attitudes. You have a choice in how you live your life and how you keep an attitude. Attitudes are patterns of thinking. They're patterns of thinking that oftentimes have been formed over a long period of time. As the children of Israel found out, those who choose murmuring, or I would say murmuring would be another, another way to say it would be revealed attitudes. Those who choose murmuring as their lifestyle will spend their lifetimes in the wilderness. First attitude Reverend Dr. Sister Reed showed us was that we needed to replace our attitude of complaining. And as I might say that I heard no complaining from anyone about her teaching, so that was good. Complaining is expressing dissatisfaction with a circumstance that is not wrong and about which I am doing nothing to correct. It's just voicing displeasure. However, we realize there's a way to break the attitude of complaining, and that is by expressing thanksgiving. And she gave you all a challenge to find some things that you are thankful for every day. Thankfulness is a life-changing decision. Thanksgiving is a life-changing decision based in reality. And what is the reality? The reality is that God is in control. So we replace a complaining attitude with a thankful attitude. Tonight, I want to introduce the second attitude that often needs cut down in our life. It is the attitude of covetousness. The attitude of covetousness. Now, I don't have to try to convince you that covetousness exists. It is everywhere. It is clear to all of us. Covetousness invades every inch of our culture. You can't go to school without witnessing covetousness. You can't go to work without witnessing covetousness. You can't watch a TV show, a movie. You can't browse social media. You can't get on the internet. You can't even go to church without experiencing or seeing covetousness. I want more, more, more. I need, I need, I want, I have to have. You see it everywhere. Jealousies, envies, all of it. Covetousness is everywhere. Covetousness is like a weed. I'm amazed that while my grass has stopped growing during this hot stretch of weather in September and October because there was no rain, weeds somehow keep growing. Covetousness grows in any environment. You weren't protected from covetousness when you pulled onto the church parking lot tonight. You might have saw somebody's car. You might have saw somebody's clothes. You might have saw somebody's kids at that particular moment acting like they're normal. And you're like looking at yours like, what's going on? 
But covetousness is like a weed. Covetousness grows in any environment. I was talking to a pastor last week at General Conference in Indianapolis, Indiana. And he was telling us, Kristen and I, how he had recently got off social media, like permanently. But here's was, here was his, his reason. His reason was, he said, I, I would come home from an amazing service and I would start to read through social media and I would see what other churches and pastors had done that day and I would get depressed. That's honest. Because covetousness grows anywhere at any time. Covetousness just gets into everything. Ever had people in your life like this who were jealous over everything? Every time you talked to somebody else, ever had a friend, every time you talked to somebody else, they got jealous of that? Have you ever felt that way? Going to stay quiet here tonight. That time's going to be quiet. <laughs> ever felt that way? You saw somebody you thought you were close to and... They end up going on a trip with somebody else. What? Thought that was my BFF. They didn't even ask me. Anthony Henson posting on social media all the time about him going fishing with other people. It makes me mad. Never getting invited. Never get invited. Try not to be covetous, but telling you just all of a sudden it hits you like wow I don't like you anymore that's just how it goes there have always been Americans who wanted to earn a lot of money but the percentage of Americans willing to admit it grew from 38 percent to 63 percent in between 1974 and 1994 I can't imagine what it is now it's well over 63 percent I guarantee you the amount of Americans who want to earn a lot of money. Covetous is one of the attitudes that caused the children of Israel to find themselves on the oval racetrack of the wilderness, around and around and around, except they were not racing anyone but themselves. They were like the dog chasing its tail. Anybody ever have a dog like that or seen a dog like that? Always reaching for something that was just out of reach. So what is covetousness? Here's a four-part definition. First, covetousness is wanting wrong things. Wanting wrong things. Wanting power without reason. Wanting control so you can be at the center. Wanting wealth to just be consumed by yourself. Wanting glory and praise from others. Wanting wrong things. Second, covetousness is also wanting right things, but for the wrong reasons. Take, for instance, the role of spiritual leadership. The Bible says that if a man desires the office of an elder, he desires a good thing. Wanting to be a spiritual leader and making an impact in other people's lives is a good thing. But you have to be careful on why you want it. You have to not just want it because you want to be recognized 
or want power over others or for some personal agenda. Then it becomes covetousness. Thirdly, covetousness is not just wanting wrong things or wanting right things for the wrong reasons. Covetousness is also wanting right things at the wrong time. There are couples who sit down for premarital counseling. They may state, we love Christ, we love each other, we're committed to each other's lives, but we're going to start sleeping together now. They want the right things, but they want them at the wrong time. That's also covetousness. Finally, covetousness is wanting right things, but wanting them in the wrong amount. Take, for example, money. Money is not a wrong thing. It's a necessary part of life. So much so, in fact, that Paul told Timothy that if a person doesn't provide for his own family, that they have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. That's strong language. That means get a job. To provide, we have to make money. But it also puts us in danger of not knowing when to stop. When I want more money than I need to adequately provide for my family, then we run the risk of covetousness. And how often do people think that money will solve things and make them happy or help them in relationships, but soon they learn that it does the opposite. So covetousness is wanting wrong things. It's wanting things, wanting right things for the wrong reasons. It's wanting right things at the wrong time and wanting right things in the wrong amount. And what I know because even though I teach the word often and have taught on covetousness before, that even in my own life, covetousness doesn't go away. And it can have a stronghold and a yoke in your life. So it is quite the request that I'm asking tonight to ask you to open your heart to the possibility that you and I may need to deal with covetousness. There's three realities to covetousness. Let me present them to you. Numbers chapter 11, verse number 1. Numbers chapter 11, verse number 1. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? This mixed multitude refers to Israelite people who had intermarried with Egyptians. They, the Bible says that they yielded to intense cravings. It is impossible not to have desires. I could tell you don't desire food, but it's just a part of the human experience. It is practically impossible not to desire things, not to desire experiences or situations. So people ask the question, you have to ask the question then, when is it sin? When does a covetous desire become sin? Men will say, I I see a woman and a lustful thought occurs to me. And when then does that looking become sin? Or I'm in a state, uh, I'm in a state-of-the-art shopping mall, and I just entered my favorite store, and in my billfold is at least one card, credit card, that's not maxed out. And I'm thinking about buying something for which I know I do not have that money. 
I don't even need the item, but I'm thinking about buying it. When does covetousness become sin? Is it sin to think about? When is it sin? So I would submit that covetousness becomes sin when we yield to it. When we surrender to it. And we can yield or surrender to our desires and covetousness by two things. Number one, our actions. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. That's an action. That's a behavior. That's a, an act that he's saying you shouldn't do. It's true. Our actions matter. Our behaviors matter. And covetousness becomes sin when our actions, we yield to what we desire and it's contrary to the law of God in its action. And I think we have to be careful that our, our behavior does matter in this world. That we shouldn't be deceived by the voices of culture. Our decisions and our behavior does matter. But we also realize that we can yield to sin not just by action. That's not the, the, the first line. The first line is our attention. Jesus said... He said, you have heard that it, it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's to lust for. The attention is on. It's not that uh, uh, a thought comes in our mind, but it's that our attention is now given to the thought. And covetousness enters. This takes us to the second reality of covetousness. And that is when we dwell on a desire, yielding is only a matter of time. When we dwell on a desire, yielding, the action, is only a matter of time. And so Jesus confirms this in the passage that we read when we dwell on desire, yielding is only a matter of time. And here's, to me, the most powerful point. Ultimately, at the root of covetousness is the rejection of God's sufficiency. Ultimately, at the root of covetousness is the rejection of God's sufficiency in your life. That's really the bottom line. It's the reason that God hates covetousness. Because in effect, it's a slap in the face to God. It is the rejection of his purpose and his power in our life. Nice try, God, but it's not enough. Thanks for everything you've done, God, but I found something a little bit better. I know you did what you did on the cross, but I found someone better. So let's, let's ask some tough questions tonight. Am I a covetous person? Do I spend more time thinking about the accumulation of things such as power, wealth, and recognition? 
Do we equate happiness? Do I equate happiness to possessions, relationships, and status? Am I a covetous person? Maybe I'm not incessantly covetous, but weeds do crop up at times. Do I find myself depressed because of what I see others have? Do I find myself discouraged because of what I see others experiencing? Do I find myself distant from people that I should love because of appearances that I'm trying to maintain? What should we do? We have a few weeds. I guarantee you there's a weed here and there that crops up in a given year. So what should we do? Maybe some of you struggle with covetousness at a high level. You're wrestling with it now, whether it's in a relationship or it's in possessions. The Bible tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Because ultimately at the root of covetousness is what? The rejection of God's sufficiency in our life. So 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And so how do you humble yourself? It might include repentance. It might include a, a prayer and a decision to turn another way, to stop doing some things in your life. It might be that far. It might include turning some things off, some noise in your life, turning it off. Because you're humbling yourself to God to say, God, you are the sufficient one. It might include a tough conversation with somebody. It requires you to ask forgiveness. But covetousness is devastating to the spiritual man. And that's what we all have to come to. It's devastating. It can cost us years of chasing our tail. Cost us years of just spinning round and round. Years of climbing a ladder only to realize it is leaned up against the wrong building. It can cost us relationships. It can cost us in ways that we don't even realize where we might push people aside or push people away only to realize later that God was forming something in them and God had great plans for their life, but you pushed them away because they didn't fit into the image that you wanted for your life. And those who choose covetousness as their lifestyle will spend their lifetimes in the wilderness. Those who choose covetousness as their lifestyle will spend their lifetimes in the wilderness. Paul wrote to Timothy, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. And what does it say? And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Covetousness. And cause us to spend a lifetime in the wilderness. 
But when we make God the source of everything in our life, we can find something to replace the covetousness, and it is contentment. It's a contentment that leads us through valleys low and mountains high. And we replace a covetous attitude. We intentionally replace a covetous attitude with a content attitude. Contentment is satisfaction with God's sufficient provision. Contentment is satisfaction with God's sufficient provision. It's saying, I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. I lean on God. God, you are enough. If you give me abundance, I am blessed. If you ask me to live without, I am blessed. There was a song we used to sing in church when I was a kid. It said, I am blessed. I am blessed. Every day that I live, I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning till I lay my head to rest, I am blessed. I am blessed. Contentment isn't calculating what type of weather there is and then saying, the sun is shining. I am blessed. It's On the rainy days and on the snowy days that are soon to come, it's saying, I am blessed. When things aren't quite going my way at work, yeah, I've got to deal with trouble. I've got to walk through it, but I'll never be able to say that I wasn't blessed because I'm content with God's sufficiency, God's ability in my life that I can completely trust God. And it's going to be all right. When you are content, you are able to rest in what you already have. Contentment is a settled sense of adequacy. But contentment has a partner. Because the next verse, after we read those who, or in that same passage, I should say, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 6, says, Now godliness with Contentment is great gain. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Godliness, piety towards God, reverence towards God, surrender to God. Godliness. The math equation of God says godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Not godliness plus prosperity equals great gain. Not godliness plus poverty equals great gain. Not godliness plus power, not godliness plus influence, not godliness plus family harmony, or godliness plus ministry success equals great gain. It's godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Right living with satisfaction in God's sufficient provision is great gain. Right living 
with satisfaction in God's sufficient provision is great gain. It means it's a great way, it's a great way to live. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. So how do we live content? How do we live out this attitude? Paul would walk us through it. He said, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. The first step to contentment is realizing that we have to look towards eternity. If you're only looking towards this life, you're going to face the potential of covetousness in your life. The way that we overcome covetousness is by looking up, realizing that there is an eternity out there. For we brought nothing into this world and is certain we can carry nothing out. The next thing he says, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Let enough be enough. Let enough be enough. And finally, he says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The last step is to learn by example. How many stories do you need of marriages falling apart pursuing money? How many stories do we need of absolute chaos and hurt in the home? Because our covetous desires caused us to pursue other things and other relationships and things that are contrary to the law of God. How many stories do we need of hatred and abuse when people pursue their own power and their own lust? Learn by example. How often do we see people getting everything and really having nothing? Paul would tell that great church in Philippi. He said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everything, everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then that great passage that's quoted so many times, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can walk through any scenario of life through Christ who strengthens me. When we Put our sufficiency in Jesus Christ. There is no storm that we can't walk through. We don't have to spend our days chasing something that we'll never grab. Something that'll never really be what it's meant to be. We can put our confidence in God and find fulfillment in our life. 
Yeah, we might not have the most money in the bank. We might not be the most popular person that's ever existed. But we will accomplish the work of God. And we will live a fulfilled life. And ultimately, our greatest hope is that we would spend our eternity with a God who is sufficient. That in our weakness, he is made strong. For he said, my grace is sufficient. So I want to conclude tonight with our app time. And as Sister Reed said last week, these are challenging subjects. And it's quite a deal for us to admit that we might have this attitude or are prone to this kind of thinking. But I, I want us to take a minute, and as we do every time at Growth University, we're going to talk to one another for just a few minutes. And I'm going to give you two options to talk, two options to talk about. The first is tell of a time in your life that you wanted something really bad, but it ended up not bringing fulfillment the way that you thought. Mm, Let's go to the second one. (laughs) Tell of a time in your life that you found the most contentment. When in your life have you been most content? I want you to try to maybe think real quick of of a story or a time, but this is a, a challenging subject, contentment. You have to kind of dig deep a little bit to really think through. But I think if we're honest, there have probably been some weeds we've had to cut down in our life that, that grew almost out of nowhere in our life. And I would think that some of you have experienced great contentment in your life even though you face some great adversity. And so I want us to take just a few minutes to uh, talk about this, and then we'll conclude. All right? Why don't you stand tonight? And uh, I hope you guys can be friends sitting next to each other now. You might know a few more things about the person sitting next to you. But I, I thank God that he gives us the grace in the space. I'm thankful for the long-suffering of God that we go through times in our life and 
where it seems like we struggle with attitudes or things in our life and God gives us grace. He doesn't just cut us off or wipe us out. And I thank God for that, that we can tell stories of times in our life where we found contentment, we found the grace of God, the ability to walk through seasons and times in our life. So I pray that, that you'd be challenged by the word and that you would respond in some way to the, to the word in your own life, whether it's a prayer to God tonight before you go to bed, a prayer when you wake up in the morning, or an actual change, something that's a little bit different tonight. You make a decision in your life. So I want to pray for you in closing. Lord, I thank you for your kindness to us. I thank you for your mercy that endures forever. Thank you, God, that we can look into your word, that we don't want to just read the things that make us feel good, Lord, but we want to, make the, we want to read the things and understand the things that are going to really make a difference in how we live our life and how we can impact this world. I pray, God, that if there is covetousness in our life and in our heart and our minds, God, that you would, number one, allow us to understand that it's there. Reveal it to us, Lord. Reveal it to us, Lord, through, God, your, your word. Reveal it to us, Lord, through maybe somebody spiritual in our life or even, even a friend or a loved one, Lord, who would help us understand. God, help us not to be defensive, to push against, Lord, what you're trying to change in our life. But, Lord, let us receive it with gladness, any, anything you're calling us to. And I pray there would be a contentment that falls on us, God, that we would be content with your sufficiency, that we would rest in you, our hope would be in you, our trust would be completely in you. When it rains, Lord, let us trust you. When it's hot, Lord, let us trust you. When it's cold, Lord, let us trust you in everything. And God, we believe and we know that you have greater things for us, and we thank you for the hope of eternity, the hope of eternal life, in Jesus' name. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.